mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster. You're a mean one. Mr. Grimms, I could make up some words. You like that? We're in the holiday spirit now, you bitch. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, man. Have you, uh, what do you call it? They, uh, I haven't seen the new Grinch movie, but, uh, they did, they got Tyler, the creator, to make, he did, like, a cover of the Mr. Grinch song. And then, like, he made, like, a little EP that was, like, influenced by the Grinch movie. So I've been, yeah. uh, I've had that Grinch Wait, song so stuck in my head. Did that movie come out already? It's either like it either came out last weekend or I think it's going to come out like this Thursday or Friday. Um, all the holiday releases because I guess so like I'm I'm a Grinch enthusiast. Like I'm a fan of the 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 really sort of older one and then the Jim Carrey version. But I know nothing about this movie. I don't know anything about the new one either. Besides the title, who's in it? Uh, well, let's let's look it up. Yeah, uh, Mr. Grinch, IMDb. Not How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Classic, classic fucking movie. Classic. Uh, this one stars Benedict Cumberbatch and, really? and Rashida Jones. I want to see if... Uh, I mean, that's... I mean, I, I... Yeah, I don't know if I'd go immediately to see that, but I... I you know, I... Yeah, I mean, I, oh, Pharrell is the narrator. That's cool. Keenan Thompson's it? in it. Yeah, okay. Okay. You know, that would actually... I think that is would it ex- cool that Pharrell is the narrator? Is that... It's okay. Cool? It's cool enough. I think he that would... Ex- he, seems like, he seems like the Carolina Panthers of narrators. Ooh. What do you mean? Like, kind I of mean, cool? I like mean, he was... There was periods in his life when he was really, really cool and good. But now, like, right now, it's just kind of sad. Kind of. I mean, Pharrell's still coming out with, like with hit beats all the time. You know, like, I feel like with Pharrell, and maybe this is where you, the comparison is, is that, like, anytime Pharrell tries to step up and be an actual star, it gets a little weird. Cause, But, like, anytime he's just content making the beats, he's really good. Like, very rarely has Pharrell made a beat that I've heard and thought, man, this sucks. This is terrible. Nothing is making me... This isn't making me feel anything... Always has the heat with the production. And low-key, it seems like once a year, like once every two years, Pharrell will hop on a rap song, like on a posse cut, and he'll be doing some of the rapping. And he always seems to hold his own against those other guys, even if though he doesn't really rap that much. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't have a really, I don't really know too much about Pharrell. I mean, it's, I, my Pharrell opinion sort of like, begins and ends with that comparison but him i guess i don't know i'm gonna see it yeah i mean, i'll probably see it i mean i did you ever read the grinch book oh yeah of course i don't remember reading it don't like you don't remember so you're not sure if you have read it before i don't remember if i've read it or not i mean i probably did it's fantastic i mean and the the early animated ones are amazing 
That one, I uh, I want to track down the song because I just had like that little part stuck in my head where he's like, uh, of a seasick crocodile. It's a seasick crocodile. The seasick crocodile. You have all, is that like you have all the charm or something of a seasick uh, crocodile? Yeah. What yeah. I don't get is they say that the guy has garlic in his soul. As if it's a negative thing, but I love garlic. Right, but I think... Is it because yeah, it's too pungent? If I was the editor, I would not have made that decision. Yeah, I just... I think you gotta improve the lyrics there. But... We just made a smooth transition for me getting food. So, oh. I'm all locked and loaded. All locked in. All uh, locked in. Let's so, talk about this. Let's talk about these last couple days, though. Yeah. So Friday, big news. I got. I was at the NBA store with my cousin, and I procured a Jimmy Butler City Edition jersey. Sadly, they were not selling the shorts yet, which okay. pretty infuriating. I'm not gonna sure. lie, because they had the shorts for a lot of the other City Edition ones, and the T Wolves played in the Prince jerseys on Friday night. Was that the first? Right. Was that the first time they played in them? That was the first time they played in them. Yeah. Okay, so maybe the shorts would be on sale now. Maybe. Anyway, uh, because Butler got traded, the jersey was half off, or close to half off. Nice. Um, I mean, like twenty-three bucks. I, I I couldn't pass that up. But the incredible part was that the NBA store. They have a deal where if a, you buy a jersey of someone, like let's say I bought a like a Ben Simmons jersey, and then within 90 days, if he gets traded, I can come in and exchange the Ben Simmons Sixers jersey for a Ben Simmons Pelicans jersey or wherever he gets traded to. Yeah, so when, when uh, you get that Ben Simmons Timberwolves jersey in like three years? Yeah, yeah, when they trade Cat nice. for him. And they build around <laughs> Ben Simmons and Wiggins. Ben Simmons and Wiggins and Josh Kogi. And if Tibbs is still coaching, Derek Rose. And Okogi, yeah. Who, by the way, isn't playing anymore? Okogi isn't playing? No, he's like the odd man out of the rotation. See, I don't get that. I feel like... I don't at all. It's I don't, so magic. I don't think you guys are deep enough to where anyone can be the odd man out. Just play 10 guys. Play 10 guys. Tibbs has this thing where he has to play a nine-man rotation. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he. It's it's uh, it's not infuriating at all. I mean, if you let's. I mean, really, if you didn't play forty five minutes, did you even play? No, 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 no. I don't think it shows up in the box score as like a gameplay. Um. Okay, so Friday you got the jersey. Yeah, Friday I got the jersey. So now it's we're in a weird position now because like I only have I have NBA gear from two guys technically. Really, like, Jimmy Butler's the first NBA gear, specifically, I have. But I have a Jimmy Butler uh, Prince jersey. And I have the Kevin Durant KD shoes. Okay. So, I feel like I'm not really in a position where I'm allowed to criticize either. Because if I say Kevin Durant is being a little whiny that Draymond Green is calling him out, then KD can always just fire back. Well, you got my shoes, so how are you gonna talk shit on me? And I had so nothing. I don't, what do you think about that whole like KD thing? Because I, I mean, it, on the surface, it seems like a topic that 
is not really of significant importance, but I think it it actually is kind of a big deal. And I don't know if it means specifically with them, but just sort of like how we talk about teammates in, in, in a sports environment. It must, 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 be, must be so hard to work in an environment where everyone talks about what you do 24-7. Yeah. I like, think... Can you just imagine, can you just imagine, right? So we all have our rough days. We, you know, hey, Reed, I think, I think like, say if we, you and I work together 24-7, like, they're just, it imagines being in a workplace environment where 24-7 you are having every single thing that you said scrutinized, and I just, it's just, it's sort of, it's just a very obvious thing for me to point out, but it just, when it, especially when it comes to, I think, two polar opposite people, it's also just psychologically interesting, right? Because Draymond Green clearly has this idea of himself that is true, that he is who he is, and he is the way he is, and he's always been the way he is, so he's never really going to change. But Durant has never really been really comfortable in his own skin. That's always been the thing on him. He's always been insecure. He's always been sort of. And now we're seeing sort of these like two collisions of athlete, of, of human personalities coming together. And it's just done in the most frustrating way. That was my mini, mini rant. It's just, I don't know. We don't have to talk about it anymore, but it just. I just. Like, uh, I just think that, um, what do you call it? I think if you're around someone for that long, that consistently, you're going to get on each other's nerves. Yeah, of course. And it's not even that. It's just also, it's, it's you're seeing the two sort of, um, I mean, they, they couldn't be more different personalities and sort of archetypes of people. Like, they just couldn't be more different. I mean, Durant is so insecure. And to a point where you kind of feel bad for him. Not, yeah, you don't really feel bad for his circumstance, but you kind of just look at him and you're like, "Man, you really, you've only started really coming to like really love like love yourself." Because this whole thing with OKC was is reeking of insecurity. The first couple of years with the Warriors and the burner accounts, like this dude clearly really cares what people think. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't you think also though that we could say the same thing. I not to go like way too meta on you, but I kind of had a thought of, I mean, I yeah, agree. I like Kevin, this into this, so no, sorry. Kevin Durant is like is an incredibly insecure guy, but yeah. I think by the same token, you could make the exact same comment about one Michael Jeffrey Jordan, but the way that Michael expressed that insecurity was with rage and with anger, and in our society we somehow deem that not as weak. But the way Kevin Durant acted as weak. And I'm not saying I, that, that KD yeah. shouldn't be criticized as weak for that. But to me, the older I get, the more I think that like people who get like really angry like that and you let it out, it's a sign of weakness that you can't contain yourself. And so I think Draymond, I, I forgot who, who said it, but they made a great point. Like Whenever this was happening, Draymond felt emasculated. That Kevin Durant yeah. w- was bullying him, not bullying him, but saying like, "Hey, man, you need to be the one passing the ball to me or to Clay kind Thompson, wide in open." The, in the context of the situation, right? And so, like, I mean, Draymond felt emasculated, and when Draymond felt emasculated, his response was to go full angry at at Kevin Durant and start saying some really not like some shit that's just not okay. Like a lot of that, just like you, know, whether we whether you think it's fair or not. Draymond knows that it's going to trigger Kevin Durant, and there's just some things with people that you just don't say. 
Like, I have friends... Like, I have a friend who... You know, he's never come out and said it, but you can just tell, like, he's really insecure about his intelligence. So, like, if we get into a fight, I'm not just going to say, hey, man, you're a fucking dipshit. Because that's crossing the line because it's not cool to, like, depress in someone's buttons like that. And so... So, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's weakness on both sides and they were both expressed in different ways and that's kind of how we enter conflicts like this. Well, and it's also just the last thing I'll say about it is like we interact with people in our relationships and in our conversations. We don't, we all sort of exhibit like archetypal behavior and we draw parts of our personality and so on from like these general ideas. But when you're an athlete, you become a brand. And it was just so interesting because KD and Draymond couldn't be farther like away in terms of brands. No, could not. Like be. it was also this like collision of like this rep like two people representing two different very different things. Like Draymond is the the sort of overachiever, self-made, loudmouth. This is who I am. You like it or not? Durant is kind of trying to fit all these narratives that people want from me. I'm uber talent. Like they just represent completely different sort of brands. Yeah, and right? yeah, and I think that um, to your point about how this might change, thing might portend some things for the future. I mean, I don't think it's. I'm. I'm not sure they're going to do it this year. But there had been the concerns that you know maybe Joe Lacob isn't really trying to have a four hundred million dollar ta- luxury tax bill to re- bring back Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant. So you figure you gotta let one of those guys go. This makes Draymond, Draymond Green a really convenient scapegoat. Regardless, I think. Well, it, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying so. If KD somehow stays, I think Draymond's gone, just because of luxury tax reasons. So right. they can say, oh, well, you know what? We're bringing KD back, but we got to get rid of Draymond. And they can project his career decline. It seems quite natural that he'll maybe decline faster. Players like him typically do. And also, if Katie leaves, they could just be like, you know what, Clay and Steph are our guys. I think Draymond's the fall guy regardless. Right. Whether I, or not it's fair. Draymond's the fall guy. and But honestly, I think that maybe the move is just go ahead and trade him now. I just don't... Because, like, I... I mean, right now, I don't know what Draymond Green is getting you on the open market. I don't think um, that... I think a lot. I just, like, if you're not a title contender, I just don't have any interest in Draymond Green. I think that he is, I think the one thing, a lot of people criticize the NBA, the not NBA, but the Basketball Hall of Fame for allowing role players in. Um, and to an extent, I understand that. I understand why. But I do think that Draymond is a classic example of a guy who is the absolute perfect. You could not draw up a better role player for a championship team than Draymond Green in terms of his ability as a passer, as an as a defender. I mean, one of the three or four best defensive players I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, and back in the day when he was actually a reasonable shooter from three whenever he's wide open, you can't draw yeah, up a better... only like a year, though? That's the thing. is like, as me, And I agree with everything you just said about Draymond. The thing is, he was only a good shooter for like a year. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't know what the hell happened with that. How he just died? Like because he was thirty-eight or thirty-nine percent, I think on their, I think that was a seventy-three win team season. 
Yeah, yeah. He like, was, he was he was arguably, he was easily a top 10 player in the NBA during that season. Yeah, I mean, he was so good at shooting three back then that you you legitimately had to argue Draymond was above Clay. Which, now he's, wow. Oh, you mean in terms of as a player? I'm saying in 20, was it yes, 2016? Yes. Yeah. 2016, he was a better player during that season than Clay Thompson. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, obviously that sounds kind of dumb because, like, Clay obviously had that unbelievable third quarter in the Isn't uh that like 35 points or something whatever it was t- for them to come back in game six at oklahoma city when it looked like the thunder had him closed oh. out um was that a- of course adds the other element to all of this is golden state leading the comeback over kd and then after game seven of that finals draymond getting on the phone and walking out of the arena and begging kevin durant to come join him that's the hilarious part of it too, like Draymond being like, "You can't fucking win without me," going all Jimmy Butler, and then him being sort of the primary catalyst or the catalyst for this whole um, this whole saga. But I want to I also want to talk about something because this is getting, and if I may, this is getting quite. This is becoming kind of a talk on national sports radio. But are we have we been underrating Steph Curry the whole time? Um, I've just been thinking about this, right? It's not just because they're doing poorly without him. But if you go back and look at how they perform without Steph versus, for example, how they perform without KD or any other player or how KD's teams have performed without him. Like, Steph Curry's almost at a LeBron-like level of impact. Yeah, it's close. But I also think... I I think some people take this a little too far. But I do think that there's something to be said that the last three NBA Finals we've got there, and Steph has been decidedly not the best player on the floor. Now, he had stretches in the last two Finals where he was the best player. But overall, when the game was on the line, Kevin Durant took the ball up the floor and shot the three right above LeBron. And before that, it was LeBron showing everyone, hey, I'm the best player in the world, and we're going to lose because J.R. Smith doesn't know what the fucking score is, but I'm God, and you are not God. Um, so, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. I think Steph is... But, I mean, all that said is I also think that, like, LeBron and Kevin Durant are probably... I don't know. I mean, if we're listening to, like, the three best players I've seen in my lifetime... What NBA watching lifetime are LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry. And I say that with the caveat that I came in a little late and didn't quite see peak Shaq and peak Duncan. So I don't I don't really hold those guys in that. that that's why those guys aren't in the top three. I started on peak Shaq and peak Duncan. Actually, I went to a playoff game in 2001 or 2002. With, and I, just, I, was like, I was like eight or nine. And I just remember Shaq being like the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever he was just he was unbelievable um Jack. and I remember the first guy I ever saw play I was like four or five years old and it was Hakeem Olajuwon and I remember I actually this was one of my first memories I, I walked all the way down the steps towards like the court and just sat there and stared at Hakeem Olajuwon and like this usher was like you need to like go back to your seat I was like four so he wasn't like get the fuck up but I just couldn't stop. Like, like Akeem Olajuwon just fascinated me. So he was the first NBA player. He and Kevin Garnett were the first NBA players I remember seeing. Like, 21-year-old Kevin Garnett. 
Akeem is, uh, how old was he when you saw him? Like, he had to have been pretty fucking He old. was, I mean, it was 98. Oh, okay, so that was, that was like three years after they won the title? Yeah, I mean, so he wasn't, he wasn't, I don't think, in his peak, but he was still, you know, Akeem Olajuwon. Right. And I didn't really know what that meant at that age, right? I didn't really know. I mean, I was like, this guy's really big and good. Right. That's sort of my thought process. I, uh, oh, I'm, I'm kind of jealous we didn't get, I wasn't around for more of those, like, big-bodied centers against each other. It's, yeah. it's weird because I, I like how fast-paced the NBA is now, but, you know, last night was, I was watching the, your Minnesota Vikings lose oh, to the Bears. Um, but it was, I mean, the game was, you know, like, in the NFL right now, every game, it feels like, is, is a track meet. It's like 38-31. Or whatever. And last night was fucking physical defense hitting each other. Just <laughs> and we meat potatoes, meat potatoes, black and blue division game. Yeah, you fucking you know take this, take your fucking pads off and just covered in bruises. I like that <gasps> stuff. And basketball, like I, I like to, I'd like to see more games where it's like, all right, man. It's Shaq against Duncan. Who's going to be able yeah. to beast up on the other one? Just two big motherfuckers beating into each other. That's actually the first sort of what I remember about basketball. Like I, so the first dominant player, the first, I mean, the, my favorite player of all time is Kevin Garnett, as you know. But I remember young Shaq. I mean, I saw a 2001 Shaq in the playoffs. You know, and I remember Duncan because Duncan and Garnett was always a big storyline, and I and I was obsessed with the NBA since the age of six. So since the 2000 season, so the first. The first title team I remember was the 2000 um, Lakers, and the first like games, NBA Finals I remember was the one against the Sixers. Oh God! And oh my God, man! Well, who was the uh, who was the center on that? Was it Matumbo? Yes, it was. Yeah. And Shaq just because I remember the Western Conference Finals because that Western Conference Finals was Arbita Sabonis. I remember seeing him for Portland. I saw him play. In 2000. I think I saw Sabonis and Pippen in 2000. I remember him because I was, like, fascinated by his name. And I remember he was wearing Portland. So I saw that 2000 Portland team. And that was um, Scotty Pippen, Arvidas Sabonis, Rashid Wallace. <laughs> Do you remember the – look up the roster of the 2000 Portland Trailblazers. That was a super fun team. Let's... Um, Damon Stoudemire, I think, was on that team. 2000 Portland Trailblazers. Did they, uh, they took the Lakers to like seven, seven right? Yeah. And I'm saying I remember that game seven. It was like my first, sort of first big sort of non-Timberwolves memory. Oh, and they beat the Wolves 3-1 in the first round. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. They, uh, they had Scottie Pippen, Steve Smith, Detlef Shrimp. Yep. Detlef Shrimp. Yep. Um... What even is this team? It's a great team. Greg Anthony. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Stacy Aukman. Stacy Aukman. Yeah. Oh, no. Did you see who the coach was on that team? Yeah, Rick Adam. No, it wasn't. Oh, shit, that wasn't. No, that's right. He, he took over. Okay, who else? No, he on, was on, on the Kings. Uh, yeah, but he, cause he coached them. He coached the Portland in the 90s. Um, hold on. Who is the coach on that team? How was oh, it? it was Epic. Wait, how this? Let me tell you who, where he's coaching now. Okay. 
He's currently coaching the University of Tulane. Or Tulane University, sorry. What? Yeah. Ah. Uh, hold on. Who was that coach? It's Mike Dunleavy. That's right. <laughs> yes. I love this team. I actually went back, I think like a month or two ago, and watched the um, the game. The Game 7 game. Oh, and they had Sheed. Oh, I love Sheed. Oh, but like 2,000 Sheed, man. He was so good. Would, could he shoot threes at that time? Not really, but his like his mid-range and like turnaround game was... Because he was such a good athlete. He... I feel like in today's NBA... Kill. He would be perfect because like... He was already an okay three-point shooter by the time he was on Detroit. And, I mean, you, you just know that, like, in today's NBA, Rasheed Wallace is a starting center that's shooting 41% from three and is consistently, like, the ninth to 11th best player in the league. I mean, he's like Carl Anthony Towns, probably, what we think that Towns should be. Yeah, except, like... I was going to say, really good defense. not just more aggressive than Towns, but, like, probably too aggressive. Yeah. Um, that was the other thing, is that, like, that that Trailblazers team, the Jailblazers, they were a little yeah. terrifying in a way that was not captured again until, ironically, that mid-2000s Indiana Pacers team, which you wouldn't, you don't associate. No, do you, wait, do you mean, um, what do you mean the Pistons team? No, I'm talking about oh, I mean, the with Dwyer Test and Steven Jackson and Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, uh, right. good God, right. Right. you don't right. think of like I don't like I'm trying to think of a word because like thuggish has like a racial connotation that I'm not trying to like add on to this, but that's you know what I'm getting at like you don't think of yeah. Indiana and Portland as like thuggish areas, but they had the two most recent thuggish teams. Um. <laughs> Uh, you know that so I don't know I, 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 there's a ton of so I go back and I kind of do like this whole thing that I, I, I kind of like feel like Bill Simmons does where I go back and watch these games that like formed my childhood and I'm torn between like the obvious fact that there's major flaws in these games and just being like I fucking love the early 2000s NBA I whenever I play on 2K and we do like let's play classic let's play classic teams it just gets – I just get so frustrated by, all, like, none of those teams can shoot. No, it, it's just, not at all. It's just unbelievable to me that, like, it took pe- people this long to realize, hey, you know, it'd be good if our guys could score. Well, Radical like, concept. This shot is closer to this mid-range than you think, and it costs – and it's a whole extra point. Right. It's just like we can't do math. We can't – we can't figure out that this is just like a way smarter way to do things. Um, I mean, good God. Uh, Although, I mean, I think there's something to be said. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm someone who mostly agrees with... I, I mean, I, basketball is in football, right? So I don't want to see people tackling each other on the court. But I do kind of have some sympathy for these for these old-time players being like, we got to at least be able to hand-check a little bit. Yeah, I think hand-checking and... Um, yeah, I mean, I want to see collisions because ultimately the most fun thing about basketball is that you have a bunch of really athletic motherfuckers just jumping real high. 
And yeah. I want to see them jump real high to get like into no. each other or over each other. That stuff's awesome. Um, yeah. And I do wonder if maybe... But Monty Jones pointed this out. He just thinks that like you just have to change the points. Because right now there's just too great of a disparity between a two-pointer and a three-pointer to where it's just not worth it to ever take a two unless it's like wide open at the layup. Unless it's unless it's a unless it's a dunk. Well, one way to mitigate that would be to allow a bit more physical perimeter defense. What about if you what about the the idea that maybe you widen the court so the I, my dad grew up telling me this if he ever listens to this which he, I think he has every now and then but if he listens to this my dad was saying this even at the college level my dad I remember like when I was seven years old my dad was like they need to make the court bigger I mean I think it makes sense first of all like it the, totally does the players are larger now so that's part of it but also like I just think it is complete horseshit that you have like the corner threes that are legitimately shorter. That is a cheat code. Like there are some corner threes that are shorter than long twos. You can't have that. Like you, because at that point, like every team now has smartly realized, well, if we get someone wide open in the corner for three, that is just free money. Also, we gotta think of, we have to think of sort of solutions that allow, I mean, so widen the court I think is great. And also, again, I want to go back to, again, I'm not advocating for, like, a ton of physicality. I don't want to see, like, because in so many ways, like, dude, early 2000s basketball was trash. Yeah, John, early 2000s, I mean, like, yeah, early 2000s, like, anything before the the Steve Kerr, Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry sons. Yeah, and so, but at the same time, I think you could find a balance where you allowed a couple more physical place to sort of go. You know what? I mean, the most, I mean, you know what we're describing right now and a team that I, I mean, I definitely appreciated when they were around. Um, but a team that kind of got forgot is going to kind of get gotten forgotten because the Warriors came right afterward and just were so great. But I mean, that, the early 2010s Miami heat is kind yeah. of what we're describing. We're talking about, a team that took advantage of the three-point shooting in the modern game, and they played a super fast tempo, but they were still way above the rim. Or also the the Spurs of that era. Both those teams were, were great. Not they weren't the Spurs weren't above the rim, but like now they just shoot mid ranges. But like the Kawhi Leonard, like 2014 Spurs were the perfect sort of offense. Well, I mean, remember 2013? They were undefeated through the Western Conference playoffs. If I those no, are no. some of my like all-time favorite teams. Like, yeah, they were they were just they were perfect. And you I know mean, what? They, oh man, I was gonna say like, you know what team would have been just perf- would have been great is if the uh, imagine if those mid tens Clippers teams had a coach that wasn't stuck in 1997. Are we are we slandering Vinny Del Negro? No, I'm slandering Doc Rivers. Ah, oh, that's right. Oh, that's I mean right. his insistence like we we gotta have a, a real setter of a real power forward. We gotta. Is Doc a, Rivers still a good coach? Is he still the coach of them? No, oh, a he, good coach. No, yeah. absolutely not. No, because like Tibbs, if we had Tibbs from like ten years ago, I'd be super stoked. Right. See right? that? I feel like people aren't don't. I feel like people, when they say this stuff, 
just don't understand what they're like talking about in terms of like I feel like like people say point out like John Fox and Jeff Fisher were terrible NFL coaches and at the end of their careers who says that in their totality they just say it blindly that they're both bad and I agree John Fox and Jeff Fisher in the 2010s were terrible coaches Mm -hmm. but John Fox also got to the NFC Championship game two out of three years with Jake DeLome as his quarterback and almost won the fucking Super Bowl over Tom Brady with Jake DeLome as his quarterback. Yeah, John Fox, I mean, he was great you're, like, during that period. You're not going to convince me, like, the guy, I'm not saying the dude was a Hall of Famer, but, like, the dude got two head coaching jobs after Carolina for a reason. And yep. Jeff Fisher was around for a long time for a reason. The game passed them by, and they didn't adjust. But, you know, and I think it's the same thing with um, with Doc Rivers and kind of to a lesser extent to Stan Van Gundy, where they just didn't, which is odd because Van Gundy, like Van Gundy, you think about this, he had the modern team. He had the modern team in Orlando, and he decided to go away from it because he didn't understand how to stay modern. He wanted to go back to old school shit. Because he said, oh, we don't need Rashard Lewis, who's a great 3 and D guy. We need Vince Carter, who's a great ISO player. Although, turning into a pretty good three-point shooter. Yeah, and his... God, I mean, just by the time Vince Carter's 60, he's going to be a great three-point shooter. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll, be, he'll only be averaging like 10 minutes a game by the time he's 60. Alright, so I, I, get, I wanted to get to this point. I didn't tell, tell it to you beforehand because... I'm just terrible at planning. I gotta like, I created that Google Doc and I just keep forgetting to put stuff in there. But um, sure. Saturday night, the what do you call it? In a weird twist of karma, Jimmy Butler and his 76ers played at my Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> Kem- Kemba Walker went for 60 points. I 60 points. Uh, but. Crazy. When he went for the game-winning shot in overtime, he was blocked by Jimmy by Butler. By who, Reed? By Jimmy Butler. And then, right after that, Jimmy Butler hits a three-pointer to win the game. Mm-hmm. De facto buzzer beater. Yeah. But, could this be a sign of things to come for when they are teammates on the New York Knicks next year? Yes. <laughs> Yes, brilliant segue. First of all, um, Kemba to the Knicks is gonna happen. I, I I agree. I quickly on Butler. Um, Jimmy Butler sounds like an insufferable person to work with, and I'm really glad he's not on my team. But he's fucking awesome. Yeah, he is great. And there's, I mean, like, there's just no way about it. He's the second best player in Wolves history, probably. Maybe Kevin Love. Probably Jimmy Butler. Um. That's a whole other conversation. But Kemba to the Knicks, I want to happen. I mean, yeah, do, I don't... Do you want it to happen? I mean, I, if I were you, I wouldn't. Like, I, I think... No, I don't want I him think, to... I mean, I don't want him to leave Charlotte, but I also just think that he is... Uh, what do you call I just. I also just think he's really good. Not really good. Yeah. I think he, he's like... I think he's pretty good, and I think he's gonna... I just don't think he wants to stay in Charlotte. I mean, I mean, at this point, would you? I mean, it's, I mean, I've never been in Charlotte. It seems nice, but would you? I mean, just in terms of any place, right? 
Well, I mean, Charlotte is like... I think Charlotte's fine. I just think, too, that, like... um, I just don't think that most NBA players want to... Like, most of them, given the choice, have, like, seven places they want to be. And it's all the big markets. And even then, like... You would think Chicago would be on that list of markets guys winter, who want to be in. The winter, man. NBA players in cold, and I don't blame them, but um, I think Minneapolis, if, if they were playing in the summer, like Minneapolis wouldn't, wouldn't be. But you see you see this with baseball even to lesser extent football. Like in all the other major sports outside of basketball, free agents have no problem going to Minneapolis. Uh, well, they don't. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, the issue with baseball like is baseball, that, like it's, it's the team is cheap. It's just there's not enough money. Yeah, but but that's actually not even the case. But that's a whole other conversation. Like they just are cheap. But it's not a, a free agent doesn't turn down Minnesota because it, 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 the weather, right? Right. But in the NBA, because you're playing the meat of the season during the winter, like Chicago, which is one of the best cities in America, is not even a top ten destination for some people. Yeah, and I I kind of get insane because Chicago is a great city. Right. Well, and you're playing inside, and you're, like, not even home half the time. I know. I and you don't have to, like, if you live there in the summer, then, like, Chicago's, like, the best place ever. So, like, I just, yeah. I don't... You can catch a White Sox game for, like, $8. Right, which it would be good since, like, the NBA players are probably hurting for money. Yeah. They probably uh, take the same deal that you and I took when we went in the summer. Yeah, I think they definitely would, uh... Yeah, I think they would... Hey, man... When it gets into the eleventh inning, you can move down to the first level. Right, and they they can think about all that money they saved. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like they don't they all want to live in fucking they all want to live in Los Angeles or Miami, given the choice. I mean, I would want to live in Miami or New York. Um, and I, Kemba, I think is a New York guy, right? I like Kemba to me mm-hmm. just he feels like from New the York. Bronx. He's from the Bronx. Okay. Yeah, so I think Kemba, Kemba is a perfect fit, and I, I feel confident saying, even if I'm not fully out on him, maybe being a valuable player in some respect, I think we can all agree Frankie Nicotine, not gonna, <laughs> is not a point guard. I just watched a documentary on before we get into this on like the Kemba UConn team. Yeah. Um, I thought, I love that team. That, remember Jeremy Lamb was on that team? Were they, um, yeah, well, he's on the Hornets now, too. Um, and also, guess who also was on that team? Uh, Alex Oriaki, who was one of, who was by far my favorite person to talk to on the Mizzou basketball oh, team. Oh, fuck Alex Oriaki. Are you kidding? Oh, wait, he came to Mizzou afterward. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, he was good. Um, he was a great, he was a great, like, chat. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry, you brought up Mizzou sports, and I just got. It always brings me to bad mood. Um, (laughs) Well, no, because we're like we've reached the point, like the Mizzou season, where like they play all the shitty SEC East teams, so everyone's like, "Oh, actually, Barry Odom's a good coach," and (laughs) actually, no, he's not. He's a piece of shit coach who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and can't recruit. Um, Les Miles is off the table, though, man. Yeah, he went no less miles though, so you can't even fire him. Um, yeah, so I mean, I just think Kemba. I think Kemba's a New York guy. He's a. I think he's going to be a great fit with the Knicks, and I think he would pair well with a guy like Jimmy Butler or Kevin Durant. I mean, let's say he can like, play off the ball really well. Like I think Kemba is obviously spectacular at dribbling, but he plays off the ball well. Right. 
I completely agree. And he's he'd become a much better shooter. He wasn't great when he started out, but he is now like a very solid uh, three point shooter. And I think that, I mean, let's say like there's a universe where let's say the Knicks end up with a top five pick, and Kevin Knox looks pretty good. And Porzingis comes back and is fully himself. Well, that's how, like, let's say they add R.J. Barrett or Zion Williamson plus Kevin Knox and Porzingis and you add Kemba. That is something you could sell on Jimmy Butler or Kevin Durant. Um, Okay, so totally on Kevin Durant. Absolutely. I think Jimmy Butler is going to stay in Philly just because I think Jimmy Butler wants that five-year deal. But let's say... I don't know that Philly's going to offer it to him. I think they're going to play Fair. hardball. So what if, like, so what my scenario is that Philly lowballs Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler, being a money-hungry financial slut, goes to New York for the money. Or just being a normal person who wants that money. Right. Um, well, many people are financial sluts, just for the record. Very, very true. We're not shaming anybody here on this podcast. How good, how good is that team? If the starting lineup is Kemba, Kevin Knox, Jimmy Butler, Porzingis, and then uh, R.J. Barrett or Zion, its potential is as one of the best teams in the East. But it's got a, it's a high ceiling, um, low floor team. You, I think Kemba and Jimmy Butler makes it so you have a pretty high floor. Kemba, That's Jimmy, true. you That's can't true. be any yeah, worse yeah. than like five seed in the in the no, East. No, no, but like, like again, there's so many ifs. So if Porzingis. Yeah, um, yeah. Is healthy. And then if Kevin Knox, and then if um, whatever if. rookie they take who's going to be 19 years old. And we know that no matter how good you are as a rookie, you, invariably, like, young players don't win games in the NBA. Right. They uh, just don't. So, yeah, they'd be better. But would you put them ahead of, I mean, let's say Kawhi stays in Toronto. Would you put them ahead of Toronto? Would you put them ahead of Boston, who I still believe in long term? Yeah, Boston, um, probably not either of those teams. Um, two two storylines of the East I want to get to. Um, the, the, the second one is Washington. So just remember, we need to, we need to touch on Washington after this. Um, but uh, there are some people, I see a lot of people jumping off the Celtics bandwagon. They, there are people who legitimately think that the scoring issues aren't going to go away for Boston. How how concerned are you for the Celtics right now? I'm not... Um, I'm like a five. Um, I, I think probably it's going to be okay. I mean, they have the best coach in the Eastern Conference, probably in the NBA. They're deep. They have young players, so that means, again, that their ceiling is quite high. And... So I, I would say not too concerned. I think there's some really real concerns, and I think they have some roster sort of awkwardness that they need to take care of, right? Like they have their roster doesn't have as much. It does. It ha- isn't sort of rounded in, rounded into form as the way you would like it to be, right? Like you'd probably want to trade a couple guys for another piece. I. Um, it's awkward. I think that we're gonna look back and, you know. This is like a weird comparison, but like, do you remember um, Andrew Luck's rookie year in Indianapolis when the Colts just hired a new coach, Chuck Pagano, and then Pagano got cancer and he had to leave? 
But then um, offensive coordinator Bruce Arians stepped in and was an incredible coach. And he won coach of the year and got him to the playoffs. But then the Colts decided that they couldn't keep Arians and get rid of Pagano because it'd be a bad look because of the cancer thing. So Arians went to Arizona and was so good with them that he got them... Are you Go back to that. So yes, they couldn't keep yeah. Arians. So they, they decided not to keep Arians because they wanted to keep Pagano because of the cancer thing. And then Bruce Arians went to Arizona and was so good, he got the Cardinals to the NFC Championship game. And, with, I mean, if he had better luck, that he might have won a Super Bowl in Arizona because he was that good of a coach. Um, well, if he had better luck, he would have won in Indianapolis, too. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, uh, but... So, like, they, they kept Pagano, not because it was the smart move, but because they kind of felt obligated to. And I feel it's like... Sim- I, I don't know if it was a dumb move. We didn't really know what Chuck Pagano was at that time. Right, but I'm saying if you... You're saying... But I'm saying that, like, you're picking an unknown over someone that has just proven that they are good enough to win Coach of the Year. Okay, that's fair. I know. So, like, that move, like, it was, it was not the right football move. Um... But you can't rail against it because of the cancer thing. And with Gordon Hayward, it, they probably should have tried to flip him for something. They definitely it, probably should have. He doesn't look very good. His value just like, his value plummeted. He has no value anymore. And you're talking no, about he, a guy he that looks like really bad. I mean, this was the one thing. You know, we talked earlier about Draymond Green, and like, you know, the one scenario that could really derail the Warriors' run. You know, let's say Kevin Durant leaves after after this year and they're stuck with Draymond and Draymond just falls off a cliff and they're stuck with that contract and it fucks their flexibility for a couple years. That's what we could be looking at with Boston. They might have to give up some of their assets to get off of the Gordon Hayward contract. And they, I mean, like they were getting aggressive because they thought, oh, well, we'll hold on to Gordon Hayward and we can flip him in a trade for Anthony Davis sometime. That's not yeah, happening. Because, I mean, that was realistic a year ago. I mean, before the injury. Gordon Harold was really good. They, uh... Right, but they was like... like no-risk move. That seemed like, at the very least, you're getting a player that you could package for a star, right? When right. You sign. What could they have, like... They could have traded Hayward this offseason for Kawhi. They could have gotten Kawhi with him. Uh... And so that's, again, I don't... That, I really like that comparison with the Pagano and Arians because because you can't really trade the dude from an optics standpoint. I mean, he just also traded Isaiah Thomas, who played through the morning of his sister's death while he was hurt. And played incredibly. Yeah, and then hurt himself and played through it and like ruined his career. So, you can't trade Gordon Hayward. Like, because you also have to think if let's just assume that Danny Ainge wasn't thinking morally in this and he was just thinking from a self-preservation standpoint you also can't have this reputation that you're going to trade players at the drop of a hat if you want to convince them to sign if you want to convince Anthony Davis to sign a five-year extension he can't look at Isaiah Thomas and Gordon Hayward and be like these guys hit like a huge string of bad luck and then they were just tossed away yeah do I believe what this organization is telling me about their commitment to me and my teammates yeah, you can't do it. 
Because, like, Bill Belichick, you could do that in the NFL because... But that's Belichick, and that's the only one who can do it in a completely different league. Right. But I'm saying, like, then, like, Belichick and just, like, players in the NFL realize that no one gives a shit about them. And it's just part yeah. of the deal. NBA players want to be liked. And they want to well, feel also, needed. That's the pitch. That's the whole pitch to all these stars. Is you pretty much have to be like, look, we are going to give everything to you. That's the fucking reason that they signed Carl Anthony Towns over Jimmy Butler and traded Jimmy Butler. It was all a personal thing. You know? And so I just... Look, I... I I don't know, would you, hindsight, whatever, say we don't know what ha- what's happened to Gordon Hayward, would you have traded him this summer? Um, for Kawhi, yeah. I think that, like, but, I think if you could have gotten Kawhi, I think that... I guess what I'm arguing is it's not, you can't, I, I just don't think you could trade him. I think, like, just for your reputation as an organization and for, like, the potential ramifications that it could have long-term, you couldn't do it. Probably not, but... That's, I guess, what I'm arguing. Unless you could, unless you could get signed off from every other player. But even then, right. it would sound like you're going behind the guy's back. I mean... Uh, I think any optics of this look terrible. Right. But how quickly do you get over the optics if you have Kawhi and you're, you know, you're like, you start out the year like 24 and 3 well, you and you Kawhi, look like a real like, contender? If you have Kawhi and he, in his press conference, you get him to say, I'm committing for five years, then you do it. I don't care if you don't get him to commit for five years at all. I mean... If you trade, let's say you give up Marcus Smart and Gordon Hayward for Kawhi, like a package, something along those lines. I don't like at that point. Do you consider the Celtics the favorites to win the title at that point? Um. Yeah. Probably. And, and well, uh, not favorite. No, no, no. Golden State. But it would be it would be so close. You'd actually have to think about it then. Uh, for a second, I, I'm I'm like just I just really think Golden State's that good. <laughs> Right, I mean, that's because I'm, I'm high on like I love every single Golden State player. I'm high on every Golden State player. <laughs> it's because I'm high. Like, to the, to the, to the finish off that sentence. Um, but uh, no, I don't know. I it's again. I just look. Mem- people's memories are short, but I just think like if you're trying, if you're constantly a free agent player, like those were two well liked players too. And they know a lot of people. And I don't know. It just doesn't look good. Yeah. When Hayward came back, left a situation on a team that drafted him, got scorned from like the this like place that pretty much helped raise him in his like early twenties for his former college coach that like pretty much like literally raised him, and then like gets hurt on the first game and then you trade him. Yeah, that's. It's a rough That's look. Rough. It's a rough, rough look. Um, I mean, you might, like, the Isaiah Thomas totally made sense. Because even when healthy, his season was sort of a mirage. And, like, Kyrie Irving, like, I don't know, I just... Also, the, the perception of Kawhi was sort of, like, you lose that PR battle. Because Kawhi, that addition wasn't universally like, oh my god, you got... Like, we weren't sure what Kawhi was at the time. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. If I was... I, I, don't, I, would, I would have not have done it, but... <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Did they, they played that after a turnover at the Wolves game. They did? Like, they threw the ball... Like, some, the opposing team, like, threw the ball out of bounds, and then they played the Kawhi left. Did you see, by the way, speaking of the Raptors real quick, 
Did you see um, who, ironically, we didn't even mention it, but like the Celtics had, the Raptors had the Celtics beat at Boston, and they were about to like completely, they won that. I mean, they would have like really put, set up themselves up for the tiebreaker and everything to really have that number one seat locked down uh, before Kyrie just went off. I mean, Kyrie, he had one of those stretches where you're like, oh yeah, that's why Kyrie Irving is why some people think he's a top 10 player, even if he isn't. Um, you see the Raptors <laughs> lost at home to their old coach, Dwayne Casey, this week? Mm-hmm. Thanks to a, okay, beautiful, so a beautiful inbounds what? play that Casey drew up. Dwayne Casey's a good coach. Yeah, he's, he's a good coach. There, I think there was something... He, there was something off about what he... I think they just needed to do... I think they just needed to do a new voice. I think it's one of those things where, especially when you keep losing to the same team, you just kind of need a new coach. This is why the NFL changes all the time. Yeah. You want it as a new voice and I, yeah, I, you needed something different because like with him there, everything felt the same and I mean, you could just tell like the psychology of that locker room, they got shook. But also, I mean, let's be fair, how much of that is Dwayne Casey, and how much of that is the fact that DeMar DeRozan just isn't that good relative to other stars? Um, and that, I'm not saying DeMar probably, DeRozan... I mean, probably closer to DeMar DeRozan. Right, I mean, right. I, don't, I don't think DeMar DeRozan's a bad player, but like... No, certainly not. When you get I, into a... kind of underrated, actually. Can I say, like, he's, he's kind of doing this, like, Carmelo thing that we... we, we not anymore because Carmelo's terrible, but we did this like two or three years ago where we his flaws are so obvious and sort of so much in the public discourse that we forget that he does a shit ton of things like, well, like tomorrow Rosen, I'd love him on my team. I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's quite fair because like Carmelo Anthony was the best player on a team that went to the Western Conference Finals in 2009. Oh, and they I were tied... They were tied 2-2 with L.A. I mean, I, Carmelo played as well as any player in that series. Like, Kobe... It wasn't like that series was decided because Kobe was just so much better than Carmelo Anthony. The, the Lakers were just a better team. Last year, the Raptors had a better team overall than the Cavaliers. But it's just like, all right, Toronto is trotting out DeMar DeRozan as their best player, and Cleveland has LeBron. And Oh, I'm not comparing, like, Carmelo. I mean, Carmelo's a whole tier above DeMar no, I, I get what you're saying, though. I, I, I think that's fair. We hold them to, like, an unfair standard. But it just, like, it, it becomes apparent in the playoffs that DeRozan is, like, at his, be- at his best is, like, a top 20, 25 player. And if that's your best player, you can't win in the playoffs. No. Well, I mean, you can't get past the second round or the conference finals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at where the Spurs are right now. Yeah, I mean, that's also, yeah. I mean, the Spurs are also, I'll be honest with you, I have not watched a whole lot of Spurs because... they're hard to watch. Yeah, well, since I don't cover the NBA professionally, I just do it for fun, I don't feel, I don't go out of my way to watch the boring teams. I don't care about if you're good or bad, because I like to watch the Sacramento Kings this year. They're They're fun. fun. and Fox is. They're a fun-ass team. They somehow made a, they somehow been mentioned on almost every podcast, which is great. I think we should just continue the, this every, every week have the, the Kings Minute. 
I'm um, more than willing to talk about Nemanja Bjelica for a good five minutes. Right. So I mean, like, I this isn't like an anti bad team. This is anti boring, and yeah. the the Spurs are just boring as shit. Yeah. They're so oh god. No, because there's really fun bad teams. I even think when Markkinen comes back and Dunn come back, like I think the Bulls will be a fun bad team. Right. Well, they're also they're kind of missing sort of their key components, and Jabari Parker is playing too many minutes. But they're like an efficient bad team too, because you can watch them for like a quarter and a half on league pass, and the game's already out of hand by the yeah. end of that. So like you can do that and then move on with your life. Which I and I'm all in for like Zach Levine throwing up thirty shots a game. Right. I mean Jabari. He's not like, on my team. I know it was pretty funny. I saw like. Uh, there's this, uh, I think it's John Greenberg. He runs the Athletic Chicago, and like, I think he's got a pretty good grasp of like he does really well with covering the Cubs, and pretty well covering the Bears. Not not great, but pretty well. Um, but he does like you can just tell it. That guy has no understanding about basketball at all. Like he was talking one night. He's like, man, Jabari can really score. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what Jabari's doing tonight. And then I went and looked at the box score, and it was like, Jabari has 14 points on 24 shots. <laughs> Brilliant. It's like, yeah, he's a great scorer. You know, like, I think you give me, you know, like, if you give me 50 shots, I could probably get to 14 points. Remember we saw Jabari Parker play? Um, Wiggins, their rookie year? We just, did. Just, just remember, just imagine the difference. Oh. Like, remember our, the conversation that we had going to that game, like, we were going to see... And it looked like we were going to see, like, these sort of cornerstone figures of the NBA. Yeah, that was... And they looked like at their rookie year, to be fair. Like, Wiggins looked like he was going to be a perennial all-star. And Parker looked like he was going to be, like, sort of like Carmelo Anthony 2.0. Yeah. Uh, God. I, I'm shocked at, like, how poorly both of those worked out. Although, I mean... I, honestly, me too. Like, I did not... I thought Wiggins at, like, his worst. And we, we've talked about this before. Like, worst case scenario, I thought Wiggins was going to be DeRozan. I just... And that was going to be, like, not desirable. But right now, I'd fucking kill for him to be more DeMar DeRozan. I just... I frankly don't get how... Um, like, Wiggins is... He's so infuriating. Like, because the one thing is that I thought... I thought before his career, especially after his rookie year... I thought the concern would just be like he would never develop the jump shot to the point where he could be a consistent offensive player like that. Because he was getting to the line. Right. That's things you wouldn't think he was he would stop going to the hole because that was the one thing he could do. And now it's yeah. the one thing he barring refuses some, to like, do. Barring some like yeah, barring some like major injury. Yeah, some like, like Paul his George shit. hasn't gone away. No. And so, I mean, because of that, I still think that maybe you get the right coach that things are different. And, you know, how much of it, too, is that Wiggins is just... You need to have someone who is, like, a lot smarter about watching basketball than me and, are, and is able to pick up these little subtle movements from the off-ball guys better than I can. But do you think that there's a possibility that Wiggins, because he's just not a great playmaker... Because it seems like every time he, it just like because of that, guys are not as afraid to go all in guarding him when he's driving to the hole. Right. Because like it seems to me, anytime he passes the ball out from that situation, he has to do a full turnaround to where the guy is. He can't just drive to the drive to the hoop and then kick it out to the guy not looking. 
And because well, of that, I, think, I mean, a, a big problem with Wiggins has always been how he plays off the ball on both sides of the court. Right. Well, I'm talking about like it affecting him on the ball. Right. Oh, okay. Like, I think that because like. I think that teams realize that if you just put a second guy in there, you'll stop Wiggins and he'll pass it out. And he's he'll pass it with him slow enough that you'll have enough time to recover and go guard that guy too. I think that's a pretty good observation, actually. I think Wiggins is a is a slow decision maker when it comes to moving the ball. Whereas, like, and we were talking about this with Kevin Durant, I think, in our first pod. Like, Kevin Durant, for a superstar, is amazing at moving the ball. Yeah, it's a skill that my high school coach would always instill, and I got yelled at a bunch because I, I was really bad until I was about a junior or senior. But it's like you, just, you get the ball, and you, make, you make quick decisions, and you're kind of thinking ahead. And Wiggins, just, the ball dies, and because teams have sort of figured out, I think, as you put, like how to game plan, like spacing issues with him. Like I think his rookie year, he was finding it through this margins, and he just never adapted. No. And, I mean, as you said, because he's, like, such a slow decision maker, that mitigates any athletic advantage that he has. Or, yeah, yeah, or makes it super circumstantial. Um, so before we go, because we're, we're about at the hour mark, so I don't want to keep you too much. Um, wanted to get to the Wizards, who lost again last night to the Blazers. The, I mean, they're just bad. Like, the Wizards just suck ass. And I want to take some credit for pointing out to every, like, there were people who were legitimately arguing the Wizards were going to get, like, the four seed in the East. And I just, I can't, I couldn't believe it. And, like, see, people were talking, like, the third or second seed. When someone's, like, I guarantee you there are going to be people who, if the, if the Wizards come up on, like, FS1 and, like, it's, uh, it's Skip, Skip and Shannon on Undisputed, if those guys debate it, it's going to come down to, like, Dwight Howard or some shit. Which is like, it's got nothing to do with Dwight Howard. Like they were shit before. It was shit before he showed up. Yeah, it's John Wall. Um, It is John Wall. I mean, John Wall, Brad Beal, is like they clearly hate each other. Remember before the season, I floated a law. I floated a Kemba for John Wall trade, right? Yeah. Washington would kill for that. They would kill for a Kemba for John Wall trade. They would probably kill someone for that. Yeah, I'm honestly I might need to watch out. Yeah. No, I think that's I think I mean can you trade John Wall? I mean you'd have to probably. But you'd have to package like this year's like top ten pick. Yeah. And they there were reports today, or it might have been last night, I, I saw the report this morning when I woke up, that John Wall and Bradley Beal could be available in trades. I like the Bradley Beal idea. I like the idea of Bradley Beal in a trade for Brandon Ingram. Because Beal is the perfect LeBron partner. Right? Yeah, but would it be a, would it be a, would it be, like, would you, would you just do a straight up trade? Well, I think you'd have to, like, I think, like, the Lakers would have to throw some contracts in there. But, I mean, what other, like, long-term potential cornerstone player are you going to get for Bradley Beal better than Brandon Ingram? Bradley Beal would be perfect for the Lakers. But I'm saying, and like on the Wizards' end, like, can you do a whole lot better than Brandon Ingram? Uh, honestly, I just keep, I keep Wall. And not Wall, sorry, I keep Beal. Mm. Because what's, Beal, what's Beal's contract situation look like? 
Because you're going to have to give Ingram a lot of money in a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Beal is, uh, he's going to be a free agent, not after, he's got two more years on his deal after this year. I keep him. What, all right, what would you have to get in return for Bradley Beal? What if you were able to get, Um, what if you were able to get Ingram and get off the John Wall contract? Yes, then absolutely. Definitely. Uh, I don't know how that would work, but... You'd have, you'd have to be a three-team trade. Yeah. But you'd have to you'd get off it. But, like, more of the stories, the Wizards are... I mean, like, it's, it's kind of an example of, like, literally everything that could possibly go wrong for one team goes wrong. Yeah. And it was interesting that this happened last night against the Blazers, a team that we all kind of see in a similar vein to Washington, built around that dynamic backcourt that maybe leaves a little to be desired. Right. Um, but, it, like, Portland, by comparison, is, like, so much so much more stable than what Washington is. Oh, my God. I mean, in Portland, in Portland, I think, has a pretty... I mean, they're con- they have some bad contracts, but not sort of John Wall, like, Albatross contracts. Yeah, I mean, just so much of... I mean, I mean that's sad, but, like... It's annoying, and Myers Leonard's annoying, but that's kind of, like... Package a late first round pick or a couple second round picks and move on. Yeah, it's uh, I mean the Wizards. I guess they got pretty lucky that they got Bradley Beal because they could have ended up with Michael Kidd Gilchrist that draft. Um, had the Hornets not taken a number two, um, which by the way, did you see like there have been a bunch of stories that are coming out and like people were talking about. Michael Kidd Gilchrist is the Hornets' Draymond Green. <laughs> and it's like, all right, he can defend five positions, but, like, Stop. he's just pretty good guarding all those positions. I kind of like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, though. I loved him in that draft. I like him. Uh... Yeah, the thing is that, like, you figured Kidd Gilchrist, if he ever got a shot, you thought maybe he could be, like, Kawhi or something. Because yeah. he was, like, at times... Just amazing awesome. at Kentucky. Um, I mean, at Kentucky, but also he's had he's shown points in the NBA where he's 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 great. He has, but then he also goes really long stretches where you just don't you like. There are a lot of times I forget he's on the team. Yeah, and that's that's pretty bad on a team like in a sport when only like nine guys on a team play. You should remember all the guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, you should. So I'm just thinking, like, who are, where would you, what is your favorite destination for John Wall, and what is your favorite destination for Bradley Beal? You can't well, say the John Lakers. Wall, oh, for, okay, so my favorite destination for Bradley Beal, um, I'm just trying to think on the top of my head, probably the Lakers, actually. I love, I mean, he's the perfect fit next to LeBron, and he's young enough that there's, like, that you, you're not going to think he's going to decline. Um, and I think he can, he's pretty versatile. So yeah. what you said, the Lakers are probably the best fit. I think yeah. anytime you can go play with LeBron. And for John Wall, um, I don't know, China? <laughs> wow. No, wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, am I kidding? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Who wants John Wall? 
Uh, I think maybe, like, the only team I can think of, and it's a team that you were admittedly a lot more accurate on than I was, uh, I think the Suns, just because they need a point guard. Uh, maybe, but why? I mean, it always, you, 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 always, you, you just need one sucker, I guess. But yeah, I guess Phoenix is dumb enough that I think they could do it. Washington would have to attach, like, their first-round pick, though. Uh, God damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you get rid of that contract? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe you just find a tanking team and you just... How many... I want to look at the Wizards' uh, the cap. Uh, Cleveland maybe would take him? Oh, my God. How much dead cap do you think is on John Wall's contract? I don't even know. $50 million? All right, so for comparison, Otto Porter Jr. and Bradley Beal both have just over $81 million in dead cap. Oh, I think he has 120. No. He has 188 and a half million. <laughs> That's the thing. Wow. So who's going to so who's going to who's going to trade for him? I I mean at least with a contract oh, like Wiggins. Oh no, the contract. Oh no. It's the one that goes up every so it's like 45 million his last year. No, it's like 47 million. Yeah. It's the thing that it, that goes up and up and up and up. At and up. age thirty-two. That's the thing is like, but that how old is he now? He's uh, twenty-eight. That's the sad thing is he should be amazing. I just, I mean, dude, this is like, I didn't realize it until we started talking, but like, this is the worst contract, maybe in NBA history. Mm, it's bad. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, there's still a chance that John Wall could get into a new situation and be okay. He's not... But, he's not done. I mean, is he, though? Like, 30... I, even with the cap going up... I... Uh, how? The, the extension hasn't even kicked in yet. No, 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 no. It's bad. It's really bad. I mean, at least with, like... I think I could see a couple teams would take Wiggins, right, for example. Because um, he's, you know, he's young and... Wiggins you know, is like, a fucking bargain by comparison. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's it, that's why I said China. Man. It's bleak. It's really bleak. How do you get him to China? I don't know, man. You could trade for um, Shabazz Muhammad who's there. I mean, who is, is it? It's Ted something, right? That owns the the Wizards. He also owns the Capitals and the Mystics. Um, I have no idea about why Wizards ownership. Ted Leonis. Oh, okay. Leonsis. Um, I, if you're Ted Leonsis, don't you have to, like, seriously consider paying, like, doing a backdoor deal with, like, the Shanghai Dragons right, exactly. and giving them a lot of money just to buy John Wall out? So they offer him so much money that he can't say no. Which would have to be, like, a legitimate $100 million a year. The thing with John Wall is you're going to have to keep him for a couple of years. Oh. And just hope that he starts playing really well, or playing to a point where you, you only have to package like a first round pick to get rid of it. So like in that scenario, if you know Bradley Beal, I mean Bradley Beal's gone. Then there's no way. Yeah. Like, so at that point, you probably do trade Beal, but I would trade Beal for draft picks just because you don't want to then have to pay Ingram a twenty five thirty million dollar contract. Would you give um? 
What about... Oh, this is, why did I bring this up? This is just making me sad. Um, mm. It's pretty bleak. It's not even pretty bleak. This is like really fucking bleak. I, it makes me feel better as a Wolves fan. What if like the Warriors... Could the Warriors trick the, the Wizards into giving them the Bradley Beal for Draymond? God, I mean, if they could, that's insane. But I don't know if I'd do that if I was, well... Do you remember, like, a, whenever Durant, like... No, I'd keep Draymond if I were the Wizard. I mean, a Warrior. But not if you can get Bradley Beal. Uh, yeah, you definitely do. For Bradley yeah, Beal? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Especially just considering age and everything. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you remember, like, right before Kevin Durant was a free agent the first time... Everyone thought he was going to go to the Wizards because, you know, he's from D.C. And they need they had that hole at small forward. And then he wouldn't even give them a meeting. Yeah, I remember that. I just, like... And part of that, I think part of it is warranted because they... I, I, I'm ready to admit that the name is really bad. It's like, it's one of the worst names in sports, I think. The Wizards? <laughs> yeah, it's... Well... I mean, like... Uh, I don't know. Our hockey team is called the Wild. It It's somewhat fitting, and I give you guys a pass because it was the second go-round. Okay. But On, it's still, like, what the, what the hell is the, the, the Wild? Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I generally hate all singular names. Um, what do you call it? Um, like that, like Utah Jazz. Jazz is worse than Wizards, but neither fit. Like Washington, I understand you had to, you couldn't be the Bullets anymore because of gun violence or some shit. It seems a little bullshit to me. <laughs> I think that was what it was. Um, which I think is a little dumb. Like it wasn't like they were called the Washington Crack Epidemic well, or something. Um, <laughs> the Washington. Uh... Drug sentences disproportionately affect minorities. Yeah, it was the it was the we're the Washington War on Drugs. We're <laughs> the Washington. <laughs> the Wad for short, but like the you could you, you could come up with something that like yeah. fits better than like literally they just went with wizards because of the fucking alliteration. But War on Drugs works too. Washington War on Drugs. Okay. Yeah, or maybe like the Reagans. I like yeah, that. No. Um, they already named a fucking airport after Ronald Reagan. He doesn't need. He doesn't need. He doesn't need a basketball team named after it. How many things do you think? Um, by the time we're like fifty years old, assuming we get there. Yeah, big if. Yeah, big if. Um, what do you call it? How many like airports and stuff do you think will be named after Obama? Several. I think we're. I think it's going to be like one in Hawaii for sure. Yeah, um, Obama International Airport. And um, probably one in Chicago. I mean, just assume that either. I don't know if they'll rename O'Hare, but they'll probably... No, it's like, they're going to rename Midway. Midway, like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because no one gives a shit about Midway. Yeah, so that could be like the Barack Obama Airport. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I think we're going to start. I think we're, like, we're, we're going to see a ton of stuff named after Obama. 
I mean, because you think about it, like, Obama, in terms of that, is like Ronald Reagan and Martin Luther King combined. Well, I mean, he's, he's very, he's, I mean, he's just incredibly iconic, and um, I think he's still, I would say, more than 50% of Americans like him. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, he's, this he's isn't not, like any sort of political comment on him. It's just like, no, yeah. No, 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 totally. No, I would just, I mean, we're just. People obviously have ardent supporters for everyone, but you're not going to name an airport after, like... George W. Bush. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. But even, like, his dad. Yeah. Right? You, you know, or, or Jimmy Carter. Like, you might in a local... You might name something very local from it, like in Texas or in Georgia. But, like, Obama's, like, national-level, like, name brand. Yeah. It's weird, like, Bill Clinton looked like he might have been en route to that, yeah, but I then... maybe Bill Clinton... But the thing is, like, Reagan is the most influential, probably, politician of the 2000s. Or one of them. I mean, I could argue that he was. I mean, he, he created the modern Republican Party, the Republican Party that it is today. He's, he was just... I, I mean, from a political standpoint, he was incredibly important. And then Obama is was the first black president, and just... Well, I figured that was breathtaking when it lay came out, to his ability. Lay out your argument for the Reagan thing. Okay, so Reagan basically created the modern Republican Party. He created it ideologically when it came to, again, um, economics. Now, the Republican Party had been shifting to that, but Reagan really, like, Re- like Reaganomics and this idea of, like, look, we're going to ease restrictions on corporations, and if we ease restrictions on corporations and allow big allow companies to sort of do what they want that should trickle down to these small businesses in actuality it just makes rich people rich right and yeah spend the money on themselves and then reagan also was like look there's this untapped group of people um that fit really well with our our, nat- our patriotism and they're the evangelicals and they've been largely absent from political life but if we bring them in um they could be they could have a massive impact on our base and so Reagan ushered in the evangelicals into like the prominent role in Republican politics. So then you had that combination of like, so what what would you say the Republican Party today represents? Like, what are their big like bases? Um, white people. Okay. In the big, south. Big and, and Reagan really capitalized on that. Well, and as sort of that generation was sort of shifting from the sixties. Um, and in a way that Gerald Ford and Richard Nixon never captured. Yeah. I also, Sam, my good buddy Sam was telling me yesterday that he felt that the Republicans have been spending more on like local government, whereas like the Democrats have tried harder at like national elections and stuff. And it I seems. I don't know if that's, if that, if that, I mean, I think, I know the Republicans do better in local elections. I don't know if it's a matter of, Spending, but like they, it might be. They did enough to where they were able to really, basically, he said that like they basically invested all of their money in gerrymandering and like getting that kind of infrastructure in place. Well, the Republicans have realized that with the changing demographic, it's very difficult to beat um, the Democrats on a national level. And yeah. so, um, but because if you do redistricting and stuff, yeah, it's and they can they can still sort of dominate on a local level. I mean, they picked up seats in the Senate. Right. That thing is that like they keep like it, the that discussion we had was based on like me seeing that 
the more Democratic voters voted for like Wisconsin stuff than Republican stuff, but yet the Republicans gained seats, which seemed kind of fucked up to me. Well, like, anyway, there's something wrong back, about going, that. Going back to the Reagan, the Reagan thing, I think no politician, like the way a political party is nowadays, like no politician has had more of an impact on like modern politics than Reagan. Like when you think of Republicans' policies towards crime. Republicans' rhetoric towards, you know, foreign policy and that's connected to their their version of patriotism that is connected to religion, that is connected to sort of this, like, white identity. Like, Ronald Reagan, like, if you just look at the policies he started implementing, because that's become so synonymous with the Republican Party, you forget that that really wasn't the staple Republican politician until him. Could you, uh, could you argue that, like, his big thing in bringing the evangelicals in with him was that he was able to, in some sense, align a level of morality and a sense of morality with his economic policies, the way he was able to marry the two together? It's not even just a morality with economics. It's a morality with every decision. It's a morality with foreign policy. So you saw increased support for, you know, certain form Like, so you saw the evangelical support with... Um, you know, the Iraq war was central. You see the evangelical support with, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian issue is essential. Like, it was attaching this morality to sort of any major thing when it came to drugs, when it came to crime, when it came to foreign policy, when it came to, you know, yes, economics. Um, Yeah, I think think that was definitely... And it kind of like... It makes me think about, like, there's that famous JFK quote where he's like, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And my, was grandpa, my grandpa was in the crowd at that speech. Did he boo him? Because, like, the more I think about it, like... <laughs> no, he didn't. That's he a dumbass a quote. He was, sh- for a, he was working for a Democratic senator in the 60s, so I don't think he would boo the head of the party. Right. But, like, don't you think that's, like, a, just a stupid-ass quote? Because like the whole point. Of the- uh, I mean, it's 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 not it's not it's it's catchy. That's it. It but like you think about it more, it's like well, I shouldn't be helping the government out. The government should be helping me out. That's the point of it. Well, that, um, so see, Reagan would have loved that quote. That's what that's why what got me thinking about it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, what do you call it? And I guess also like JFK kind of like preceded Reagan as like the first TV president. Where like it seemed like. Tell me yes, if... that's true. That's true. I mean, the Reagan also, uh, like, was the sort of the final stamp on sort of like the appearance, sort of the necessity to to have a you know charismatic, you know, individual. Tell me if this is completely off base because it might sure. be. Um, is the main difference between Richard Nixon getting fully impeached? Or getting kicked out. I know they both technically got impeached. Um, and Bill Clinton not getting kicked out of office. Simply that Bill Clinton was more handsome and more charming. Because Richard Nixon's appearance... No. Richard Nixon's appearance really lends itself to the whole idea no, of like Nixon's, tricky game. I think Nixon's initial loss to Kennedy was that case. But I think the... Um, because he lost to Kennedy in 1960, of but um, I would say I would say honestly, just the difference of their crimes and the fact that I think I think Clinton was coming towards the end of his presidency, 
where Nixon was beginning a second term. Oh, and man. I and I think that Nixon would have had to have three and a half, four years of just like he commit, like he was complicit in a in a crime. Yeah. And I think it was just on he couldn't stay in office. Whereas Clinton was also committed a crime, but like it's also interesting is the crime that he committed. We we is the is the is the sin we just sort of forgive politicians the most with, which is lying. Like we just fucking assume every politician lies. So yeah. basically, everyone was like, Clinton lied about getting a blowjob, and everyone's like, okay. You know? Yeah. Well, it's like we... You, Whereas that Nixon lied about, like, a coordinated robbery. Yeah. Amongst other things. Like, some other very nefarious financial and, and, and political affiliations. Yeah, Clinton also... It's weird that, like, that that's the one that he got called out on. Because I didn't realize when everyone was bringing it up during, like, Hillary's run... But, like, I just thought the Lewinsky thing was it. And I just thought Clinton was just kind of, like, no. sleeping around. I didn't realize he was, like, actually accused of, like, raping some girls. Yeah. Yeah, it's nasty stuff. Do you think he did it? Do you want to end right there? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I just, I, think, I don't, like, I, uh, I didn't look I, into it. I don't know. It, I, let me put it like this. I don't think Bill Clinton fully understood what consent means, especially in the way we view it in 2018. Um, I'll just leave that right there. That's, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. It's almost like his, his thing about like how he didn't smoke weed because he like, I didn't inhale. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's be, I think Bill Clinton, I think Bill Clinton has enough. I mean, yeah. It's, it's very believable. It's also weird that Bill Clinton, like, I don't know, like, just looking back at that whole era, it's just like, weird that we had a president who we just had, like, a fat rapist president who played the saxophone. Yeah, and right now we just have a fat rapist president who likes Twitter. Right. I'm not, um, I mean, if you, I feel like most people listening could just figure out that I'm just, like, my general belief on most politicians is just to take a massive dump on them, just like fuck that guy and fuck that guy and like all that shit. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, I, I guess I just, I mean, like, I think saying that about Trump is just, I mean, well, that's just. I feel like it, unless you are just completely, unless your whole shtick is to just say fuck the media and fuck libtards, and like you're completely in the bag for Trump, like. Even the reason, even like most Republicans are kind of like, yeah, this guy's a clown. So let's end it. Let's end it on this point. And I was talking to with um, a couple of my friends um, here who are Egyptian, and so let's compare Trump and Bush quickly. I think you, there's no way that you can argue that from a like a pure like policy impact and livelihood impact that Bush was the worst president. Like he was. I mean, he, the, the the decision to go into Iraq was one of the worst policy decisions ever made in the 20th century 21st century and his economic policies at the time of like raised military spending like led to like financial collapse he was a terrible president do you think that um do you think that like that's just kind of because like 9-11 gave him an out to do that stuff well what the point i was making is uh, i mean it definitely gave him an excuse to do some foreign policy things um, the tax thing's a bit different. Um, what I was going to say is, um, 
like, but people like Bush. I mean, he gets this public persona of being a good guy, and, and Americans love appearance, right? Americans love political appearance. Like, Donald Trump is the most obviously, like, immoral person. He's just, like, a bad person. And you can't, and that's not even, and I'm saying, and it's, it's I'm editorializing a bit, but not really. Like, he is a bad person. Like, we have, I mean, if I compile the things that he said and the things that he's done, and I just didn't put a name on it, you'd be like, yeah, I think 95% of people would be like, this person's a bad person. Well, also, like... And, and he doesn't try to hide it. He, that part of him, that, like, that's what makes him popular. Well, also, he just, like... I feel like... Again, he's not a worse president than Bush. I right. firmly believe that. He's well, not. I don't think Donald Trump's the worst president of all time. I don't think he's the worst president of Bush. Or Andrew um, Jackson. I, or, yeah, I mean, but, yeah. Or Andrew Jackson, right. Or, you know, um, Herbert Hoover. But Hoover, yeah, Hoover was bad too. I was gonna say, yeah. I I feel like Trump is like not like as intentional because he's not like a lifelong politician. He's not like as purely evil as those guys. No, no, no. He's just like, a bad person, right? But I'm like saying, he's... I think I think that like him, I just think that like he is like it. It was selfish of him to run for president when he knew he was too incompetent to do it. In the sense that, like, I like, I don't know about you, but like, I personally know I would be an, a terrible fucking president. So for me to run for president would be incredibly selfish. And like, even if I didn't think I would win, like, I don't think Donald Trump thought he was going to win. But because he put his name out there, that you have to suffer the consequences of actually winning. Well, I mean, look, I mean. Do you think that he thought he was going to win? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think part of him was a bit surprised. I I don't know. I don't know. I maybe he did think he was going to win. I just I just I can't I believe any know. of this is happening. Like I just they they, they ran it. I mean, they ran it like they they were able to win it. I think they ran a better campaign than anyone really thought they gave them credit for. I mean, it was, it was, it was shameless, but it was, it worked. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. I mean, just go, go balls to the wall. They did it. I mean, they did it, and they, and they got, and they got, you know, shit by sort of, you know, conventional political theorists who would say, you know, the Clinton campaign ran, you know, sort of the textbook campaign, but they got their ass kicked. I, I don't, I don't want to keep you too long if you have to like go anywhere, but I, that, that kind of spurred a thought for me. I was thinking last week about how um, podcasts sort of represent a shift in media to where it used to be like the idea was that you want it to be kind of popular with everyone, right? And now you have to you have to like really pick your niche audiences and just be right. really popular with those people. Mm-hmm. And I think that like with politicians now, it seemed like Clinton, like Hillary was trying to be kind of popular with everyone. And Trump was just saying, I'm going to be really popular with like that segment of the, of the population. I'm just going to be really popular with those guys. Well, I mean, but I, I think, I think the difference is like it all that strategy in politics on a national level only works if your opponent is super polarizing. Like, I don't think that shit would work on Beto O'Rourke or even like Bernie Sanders. But like those guys too, I think would be, 
their strategies would also both be to try and get people really invested in them. Because you have to like also accept the idea that, you know, there are, it's not a two option thing of voting for the Democrat or voting for the Republican. There is the third option of just not voting at all. And that, and as we saw that the most popular vote, but it's going back, it's, it's going back to how they run the campaign, which is the initial point. Like, how are you going to, I think, I think that, and that's what I'm saying is that like Hillary wasn't trying, like she didn't pander to a specific audience that hard. Uh, well, I think I think also that I think Trump just caught lightning in a bottle in the sense that he was also running against like one of the most unlikable presidential candidates of all time. Wow, sexist. Which is just which, which is just true. I mean, that's statistically true. I mean, her approval ratings are still lower than Trump's, or around the same. Like, oh she's God. not popular. Yeah, she's not popular. Yeah, I would have. Uh, yikes. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 pretty brutal, and I think that. Yeah, let's just. I um. Who would you like to see run for president? Who would you like to see them put out then? Do you think that Beto O'Rourke guy like? I think I think I think O'Rourke could do really well. I think I think leftists or left far left leaning people quite like him. I just it's um, or accept him. I far like him would might be a stretch, and I think I think moderate the moderate base likes him as well. Like, do you, because it, it just seems odd to me as someone who, like, I'm so, I'm, I'm not nearly as in that realm as, like, you are. Right. It, it just seems odd to me that you would lose the, uh, you would lose the race for senator and then run for president. Um, well, because it's in Texas. Right. And that's, I mean, you contended. And it's also, like, he's not, no, no Democrats going to win Texas anyway. Right. Well, I mean, it's specifically in the national in the presidential election. Do you think? Um, so, do you think that, like, right now, where would you slot that Be- like Beto in with the other guys in terms um, of I chances? I think Beto's in the top tier. I think um, the top tier would be like, let's just say there's like a top five or six. I'd say it'd be Aurora, if Biden runs, Sanders, Warren, Kamala Harris, and like Cory Brooker. It maybe. It didn't. It, it felt to me like maybe Amy Klobuchar, but I've never heard of her. She is the senator from Minnesota. She's gotten some traction. Um, do you think that like? Because it seems to me that like Bernie, if he'd gotten in in twenty sixteen, might have had a chance. I think he would have won. But I think by I, now, I, absolutely, you think he would have won. Absolutely, over Hillary absolutely. and over Trump. I think. Well, he didn't obviously win over Hillary. Um, I think he would have won over Trump, yeah. Um, That's I, a whole other conversation for another podcast, obviously. Right, right. Because um, it, it seems like now we're for, like, it's just going to be by the time the next election comes around, we're, we're going to have like four or five years of people shitting on Bernie by then. I don't think people really haven't been doing that. Really? Have they? Maybe I just like, I, maybe I just like, I follow a segment of Twitter that gets like, super defensive anytime someone poops on Bernie and oh, or I yeah. also like I follow a lot of like centrist Democrats who don't like Bernie yeah. as well right the Bernie bros bro <laughs> the Bernie bros I have to head out with alright sorry for for keeping you no it was brilliant it was perfect I just have to I have to start doing some work alright peace oh. out daddy though